Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. This week, Everton are safe in the Premier League. Their fans celebrate. But was it in the right way? We'll talk pitch invasions and what can be done to stop them in the future. We'll also look ahead to the final week of the Premier League season with massive games for Burnley and for Leeds as well. But also, of course, at the top of the table for Manchester City and Liverpool and the race for the top four too. We'll also be discussing the playoffs in the EFL. All that and more on the Game Podcast. Hello again, welcome back to the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wissencroft alongside Alison Rudd and Tom Clark on this Friday morning. We've left it, we, we needed Thursday night's games in, obviously, so we could hopefully predict and, and look ahead to what's going to happen on the final weekend of the Premier League season. Now, now we've had a debate already this morning when it comes to the Game Podcast on what we should discuss first, Tom. You and I very rarely differ in opinion, actually, but today, loggerheads. What should we start with? Well, exactly. You've given the listeners a little glimpse there. All the sh- all the show that we've put on this season, <laughs> Hugh, are actually best, best mates. No, well, I just feel, Hugh, that as, a, as much as I would like to focus on the football, and we will, we have to begin by talking about pitch invasions. Okay. Not just because of what happened at Goodison Park, but because of what's happened throughout the last week or more. Um, and I feel it's an important topic because I, it's, a, it's an issue that I don't want to become the talking point of the weekend. So I would like to talk about it with the both of you now so that we can then get into talking about the football. Fine. So the main story on today's episode of the Game Podcast <laughs> is the thing that we don't want to become the big story. Well, I see I also, feel thinking there. But I see also, thinking. also, we have the perfect man to talk about it because you were there, weren't you? You were at Goodison Park. I was, I was. And I was at um, Forest on yep. Tuesday night as well. Uh, okay, all right. So we're going to start with that against my wishes I've been overruled this will not continue for a long time I can tell you that um, but I'm in a good mood this morning after going to Goodison Park because there were, there were some good things that we'll get to a little bit later on but Tom's in charge he pays the bills so <laughs> we're starting with the pitch invasions which I've got to say are absolutely dreadful I'm not against pitch invasions someone already tweeted me this last night because I was talking about how great the fans were and I tweeted when I was at Forest talking about how I thought the incident was disgraceful now I didn't see the incident when I was at Forest even though it wasn't I actually looked back at my pictures and I had taken a picture of the, the person who actually attacked Billy Sharp um, it, it wasn't far away from me but I didn't see it happen 
I didn't see anything. I didn't really see anything at Goodison Park either. I did see lots of people trying immediately to go for Wilfred Zaha. And Wilfred Zaha was surrounded by security immediately who dragged him straight down the tunnel before anything could happen. Fortunately, due to where Crystal Palace was shooting in the second half, that was the side of the pitch that Zaha was on. And it was easier to get him down the tunnel, which was in the corner of the pitch on his side where he was. So he was only probably 20 metres away from the tunnel and quickly got ushered away. Had he had Crystal Palace been shooting to the other end, it would have been a diagonal trip all the way across the pitch. God knows what would have happened. So in the end, Wilfred Zaha got off the pitch. As many players as possible got off the pitch. Um, but there were unsavoury scenes at Goodison Park. I've got to say, some of the stuff that happened was a little bit odd. Anyway, I'll get to it. Let me list out all the issues that we've had. Luton Town manager Nathan Jones called Huddersfield supporters an absolute disgrace. That's after he and his coaching staff were goaded after that championship playoff uh, semi-final defeat. There was an 85-year-old Luton fan left with a head injury after they were hit with a coin. Um... Elsewhere this week, as I mentioned, at Forest, thousands of fans spilled onto the pitch after the um, penalty save by Gibbs White. We saw a player actually charge into the Sheffield United striker Billy Sharp during that pitch invasion, knocked him to the ground. He had stitches. Um, it was a vicious attack, frankly, and this person has already been given a 24-week prison sentence as a result. Last week at Goodison Park, Everton fans, strangely for me, invaded the pitch after the third goal coming from 2-0 down. But at the full-time whistle, there were even more fans on the pitch. Patrick Vieira, the Palace boss, was goaded. He then lashed out at one of the fans, taunting him as he was walking off the field as well. Uh, we'll talk about that in more detail. And Swindon Town as well. This is just this week, by the way. Their players seemingly coming to blows with Port Vale fans um, at the end of the League Two playoff semi-final that went to penalties last night as well. Um, none of it is good, frankly. As I say, I'm not against pitch invasions. I love those moments where the fans pour onto the pitch and they hold their players aloft and they carry them off like heroes. That's fantastic. That is, you know, a unique thing in sport and you should be able to maybe once a year celebrate with your your players in that way. I don't see any reason why you would need to insult the opposition players, go near the opposition players or management, attack, obviously, any of those players. That would just be ridiculous. Why would anyone want to do that? And actually, it's just bad for football. Football has had such a bad reputation over the course of the last 40 years. And we always say things are getting better and better. And these moments indicate that things are getting worse once again. I just wondered what your observations well, that's just were. A woolly, that's just a woolly explanation, Hugh, and it's exactly why we have a problem because what, what, pitch, pitch invasions are prohibited under the... Illegal, yes. Not, you're not allowed to do them. So you either decide, OK, we, we abide by that law and we have uh, proper perimeting, perimeter policing, stewards and police in vast numbers messages throughout over the tannoy that anyone going on the pitch will be uh, arrested or at least escorted from the stadium from by a police officer and or you go down the romantic route which you've just beautifully um given us which is isn't it lovely to see the fans enjoy themselves and pick their heroes up as if we're in some sort of michael palin ripping yarns from the <laughs> 70s where you're gonna you know, you're gonna need to give me a football, more modern reference football, to that. football <laughs> you know a up football and 
you know, you can do what you like because you're big, big fat in world, and you can do what you want. And go, <laughs> no, go knock on your favourite player's front door and throw a cup of tea at him because he didn't score the goal. It's not like that anymore. There isn't, there isn't the romance of it. I have to say, it is possible for there to be a perfectly lovely pitch invasion this season, and that happened at Fulham. And the reason that was a perfectly lovely pitch invasion was because there was no tension. There wasn't even much tension throughout the season. There was certainly no tension when they finally sealed promotion. And it was so lacking in tension, um, their last home game against Preston North End, that um, I actually thought, no, there won't be a pitch invasion. This is just so calm. They've not, they've avoided the playoffs. It's, you know, automatic promotion. It's all very nice. It's all very pleasant. And Southwest London is quite posh. But no, they wanted to, exactly as you described it, they just wanted to share the moment with their heroes and it was done in a very hugely jolly fashion. But uh, that's rare, isn't it, that you, you can orchestrate that kind of celebration. All the other examples you've given, they've been absolutely racked with tension and alcohol, no doubt, and fear and hatred. And if you have a penalty shootout, you're booing you're trying to put off the opposition for those brief moments you think you hate them and then you think it's okay for them to go on the pitch and suddenly put all that to one side and behave like well like they should but they won't so you you can't you cannot you be romantic about it at the same time as saying it was also disgraceful i think it's very interesting that what we've talked about so far you know a premier league manager has kicked a football fan that that's that's what you know. I was in in the office with my colleagues and I came down to record this podcast, and that is exactly why we had the debate here as to what we should talk about, because we woke up this morning to Patrick Vieira's kicked a football fan on a pitch, and yet our discussion so far has been around the fans, and I think that's really interesting because that is also that mirrors the conversations we've had um, amongst my colleagues that it seems to be about the fans. I mean, how do people feel about Vieira kicking? Well, pa- so- Patrick Vieira would not have been in a position to kick a fan if there hadn't been the pitch exactly. invasion. But that's what I find fascinating is that the, the attention does seem to be on the fans. And I do think going into this weekend, Alison, you've talked about tension. There were lots and lots of things on the line this weekend. And we've now got a situation where all eyes are going to be on the supporters, despite despite a Premier League manager who lots of people, some people may say, should know better. He's a role model. He shouldn't have done that. And I'm sure he, he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have lashed out like that. And I'm sure he'll apologise. The FA are already investigating. But... I do find it fascinating that at the point we're at now, perhaps because of some of the things that have gone before that you listed, Hugh, the attention is on the supporters. And it is a minority of the supporters that are essentially ruining the reputation of football fans. Uh, well, it's, I mean, I would like to know, Tom, as you've brought it up, what is the key difference between the Kung Fu kick from Cantona and Patrick Vieira kicking a fan on the pitch? Very, it's a very good point and it was one that was raised upstairs this morning because we've got uh, one of my editing colleagues are Crystal Palace fans so they raised that exact point and, I, and I'm not quite sure what the difference is I'm not quite sure in the in the basic sense of a professional lashing out at a fan I don't know what the difference is but I just find it fascinating that the narrative seems to be there's my favourite word around the supporters now in this in in this instance, well, uh, I'll, tell in, you, in, in, I'll tell you what the difference is. Okay, the difference okay. is if you, if you know, is, physic, is physical proximity. Yeah. So Cantona sought out a fan because he heard something that he found abhorrent, and felt he had ah. to act. In this instance, Biera was probably feeling physically intimidated as well as verbally intimidated. Yeah. So that that I just quickly say as well. Um, I was speaking to Matt Lawton before coming on this podcast, and he is 
he's done a piece with Tony Pulis, who of course we did a recent mm. show with, and um, the piece will probably be published by the time you're listening to this. And in it, Pulis talks about a moment where he had similar. He was West Brom manager at Aston Villa, local rivals, and there was a bit of a pitch invasion, and he kind of looked around, and it became quite clear that the stewards there weren't enough of them, and it was a bit of a like free for all. And he kind of thought, well, this is this is every man for himself, really here, and. He, he, he did kind of mentally prepare himself that if someone comes at me, I'm going to have to defend myself. And that is essentially what Vieira was doing. Well, well except he did turn He did, he did turn, turn. So, well, so this is what I mean. So, I mean it, I'm, I'm saying that's the key difference, yeah. but whether it's enough of a difference for it to nah. get a different punishment, I wouldn't uh, say. Nah, not for me. What was your first reaction when you saw that video? I'll be honest, mine was fair enough, Patrick. Yeah, good on him. That was honestly my first reaction. Oh, you're such a bloke. No, no, that's fine. That might be that might be why. But is but what was your first reaction when you saw? My it? first reaction was, what does he think he's doing? Because yeah. that's illegal. If you're, I can't believe you're in a court of law and you're trying to justify hitting somebody because they said something to you. Yeah, you're going to get off. It's but not, I, it's not self defence. It's not self defence. You might depending but, on what was said. Because I, he turned. I can see why it happened because, as I mentioned before, the physical proximity was probably. Slightly worrying. I, I just, I, I just, I, I just saying, want to give a warning out to all the listeners. If you see me in the street and you walk up to me and you say that to me and you call me that, I'll do probably the same thing. I don't think it was an irrational reaction. Hopefully, all the listeners would come up and give you a cuddle, Hugh. Obviously, but I mean, but but and maybe it's because I'm a bloke, and maybe but that was honestly my first reaction, and I think that was a lot of other people's first reactions. Well, that's not to say it's right. What Vieira did was wrong. I know that, and I can appreciate that. But I'm just being honest that my first reaction on seeing the video in that moment. And that's why I also mentioned Tony Pulis's piece that's going to be published later, because, you know, we were talking about Vieira and Hugh then started talking about the fans. And it's heading down that road now where something even more unpleasant could happen because going into this weekend, and this is, we were talking about this earlier as well, the cumulative effect. Unfortunately, some idiots see these things and think, I'm going to do that. Yes. Oh, it's my turn this weekend. No, I don't want to stop me going on a pitch. Notice, by the way, that you did a Northern accent before, and I do a Cockney accent. When I'm doing so. Was that was that Cockney? Was it? Oh, I'm going to go on a pitch. That was absolutely horrendous. I, I, I thought you were doing a Northern accent as well. <laughs> no, but 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 that but that is what we're heading towards this weekend, isn't it? And it's it's going to be an incredibly tense. The the whole the overarching feeling is going to be tense because we've got these huge footballing matters that we're going to come and discuss. You, I'm sure. Mm. But mm. as journalists. When you're at the grounds and as editors watching on telly, you're going to be going, is it going to kick off at any of these grounds? And it, it might well do. So why, but... why are they leaving it to chance? This is the bizarre thing. Well, so this is the thing. And I was interested, Hugh, in your context, because one of the other thoughts I had was, like, why is Vieira on his own? Now, I, I've been at football grounds and I have invaded football pitches before in a very happy way, in a very lovely way. Um, but I have. I've been on football pitches before. I've stormed the pitch. I've run past the security guard. Etc. Etc. They have a very unenviable job, and I'm not suggesting they form a kind of cordon. Child. And uh, well, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> no regrets. Best day of my life. Um, How old were you? Uh, it was when Lincoln got promoted back to the Football League in 2017. I would have been 26. I went on with my dad. Mm, that's on the cusp of being too old. Went on with my dad. Well, he was in his 60s. <laughs> that, that, that's far too old. Yeah. Uh, well, my phone screensaver is him on the pitch at Sintelbank with his scarf above his head. Best day of my life. But that's my point, is that that's I very much conform to Hugh's idealised, romanticised, and that was lovely. Loads of Lincoln fans went on the pitch. We're back in the Football League, held the Cowley brothers aloft. That was great. 
And I still think that can happen. But and, it's, it ha- and it has happened very recently at Fulham. It has happened. But it's on the responsibility of the football fans, I think. And that's why I'm interested in the way our debate is going. We're not necessarily talking all that much about Patrick Vieira, a football manager of higher claim, I, kicking I, someone. But you disagree with us quite strongly, Alison. Well, well, no, I'm disagreeing with your romanticised version. I, oh, I'm... D- I'm saying it's not enough to say it can be beautiful. Isn't it a shame that it isn't? I, I, when I, when you're not actually supposed to be there. So yeah, if I, you are supposed to be there as a club, you've got to think about but it. But also what the, I mean... The policing but, and stewarding have to mm, be thought about. But also our view of the Vieira incident of being, you know, we were both sort of like good on him. You you disagree with, you think he behaved in an inappropriate way. I, well, think, I, I would think good on him if someone had hit him and he'd hit them back. Yeah, but, just, but he wasn't hit. No, He I, turned around because he heard something. You could see him. He's trying to get off the pitch. He's angry, and then someone says something, and he turns around and he kicks at them because he yeah. doesn't like what they said. So you think it was Vieira, the Arsenal central midfielder, rather than... <laughs> OK, go you on. Can't, you can't do that. But so, if we were in court, we'd say, you can't do that. In an attempt to be then constructive, how do we then approach this weekend? Because that the point I was going to come to you, Hugh, with your insight from the seeing the big picture by being in the ground was your point about uh, Zaha being escorted off the pitch by lots of stewards. And that's what we see quite a lot of times is that they don't stop the fans from coming on the pitch because that's fairly futile. You can't stop a kind of hmm. stampede of lots of people when you're just you know a row of single file people in high-vis jackets. But what you can do is put two two people to a player, to a manager and escort them off the pitch. That's what I found quite striking that Vieira was on his own in the middle of the pitch. I mean, you know, and also in these other incidents that I'm talking about, which are romanticised, we went on the pitch five minutes, took some pictures, and then they came on the tannoy and said, we want to do the presentation, get off the pitch. And then everyone got off the pitch. So, I mean, what 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 is the solution to it? I mean, is it that Everton in this scenario get three games behind closed doors next season? Because then the fans learn that your consequences have a direct, you know, your actions, sorry, have a direct consequence. What, what's, what's the solution this weekend? Because that'll be a big factor. Maybe even well, by the, the time this podcast comes to say, out. Oh, it's so romantic when it goes well and it's so appalling when it goes wrong. Let's just see what happens. You I, have, I, you have to decide what you want to happen but so, as a club. But so that, you know, you, you know how these things work. The, the, the pattern of the story will be such that maybe even by the time this podcast is already out, the Premier League, the FA will have put out something that says anyone going on the pitch will be banned for life. You know, who knows? I don't know, but I'm trying to think yeah, what, what the what responsibility I is. I can't picture it because it's too sensible to happen, but there should be, you know, over the tannoy, relentlessly, there before was, kick-off there and was. at half-time <laughs> and at full-time, saying because of, ins- because of recent regrettable incidents, we are not allowing um, fans on the pitch, but... We will be doing a lap. If you stay with the pitch, we'll be doing a lap of honour, and we were showing our appreciation, yeah. and we want you to be part of that to celebrate with you. At Everton, there were loads of announcements. Uh, saying in, what? Saying what? Saying it's that- illegal to enter the field of play. Um, anyone that is caught going onto the field of play, it's a you know it, I can't remember what the exact wording was, but essentially it stressed that it was illegal and that you would be taken away by the police. Basically, this is before the game, and the the the, the screen had. Um, I don't know whether it was officially like a police 
statement, if you like, but there were there was wording to that effect on the screen inside Goodison Park as well, basically saying it's an offence punishable by this if you enter the field of play. And it stated what the exact law is, which is uh, disrupting a public event or something like that anyway. Um, but it was on the screen. Actually, I noticed it before the game. And I was like, why have they... I, I, it genuinely didn't even click to me. I was like, that's weird that they put that up. But didn't think people would be... In, in, in my mind, I didn't think maybe Everton would win. So I, I didn't have yet prepared the for the idea that, that loads of fans went into the pitch. The, what was the stewarding and policing like? I mean, it was it was normal. It was normal for a game at, at Goodison Park. I think the thing that I found most weird, in fact, was the level of pandemonium. Like, there were people running along. You know, it's a very old football ground, you know, yeah, at the yeah. bottom of the press box. There is a ledge there that you can stand on, essentially, that juts out over the terrace beneath. Um, and Bill Kenwright sits right at the front of that, if you watch it. And, and there were fans running along that. And I was like, this is dangerous. You know, there's there's probably two dozen fans running along it. You could genuinely, I described it as pandemonium on the radio, but it, it was. I mean, it was just like, it felt like all hell had broken loose not in a negative way but just people were so happy they were just literally you know even and this is the thing that I always hate but people hanging off the goalposts and stuff like that which is quite dangerous mm. but no one seems to think it's dangerous until the moment the goal the, the, the bar is about to break in half and then suddenly fans are like get off it get off it before it you know crushes the fans beneath them and stuff it's just because you know. that is another thing as well in, in the video of the Vieira incident there is there are two or three Everton fans who then come after the incident and calm down you know the idiots ultimately and actually then kind of slightly escort Vieira away and one of them's got a child on his shoulders so yeah, yeah th these are incredibly tense moments but I I it's, Listen, it, I feel like it's a responsibility of the fans themselves because I don't think you're gonna you can do as many no. tannoys and you can do as many stewards I just don't know but whether. if it was a three point deduction for a picture that's what vision, I mean if you're then getting into yeah, those, the yeah, realm like, of that I, I do think if you're going to stop it you need fairly strong sanctions and I, I don't th you know even a points deduction I think uh, you know behind closed doors for several games would actually probably affect the fans more yeah. than a points deduction because well, if you're when it comes to Everton I think the points deduction <laughs> no but this is what yeah. I mean this is what I mean not every club is as affected by a points deduction I think mm. I think all fans still want to watch their team if they're mid-table and they'll be annoyed by having three games behind closed doors and there's an, obviously a financial impact to that but if you are in mid-table obscurity and someone says you're deducted three points, you're like, well, we're 12th, we're going to be 14th. You know, I don't think it's much of a detractor, especially because most of these pitch invasions are at the end of the season. Yeah, so nobody, nobody invades because they finished 12th, do they? I, I think a lot of fans on the final home game think I'm going to go out there and, and have a runabout just for a laugh. Mm, they but do. I think I thought we'd concluded that the, the, the key difference was that... We, the context was the tension whether it's a penalty shootout or evading relegation the context is you're almost not human as a fan because you've been so wound up by it it's you're you know i i imagine some of some of the people who behave badly on those pitch invasions would be mortified this morning they were completely taken away by the yeah. there was so much at stake yeah. it wasn't just oh joy it was Desperation. Yeah, and I mean that is the other the other factor. You know, going back to the times I've done it, you do then get on there and you feel a bit silly once you're on there. <laughs> you're like, you're quick, Dad, get a picture. Let's get off. You look a bit stupid here because you you do then. You're like, what what am I doing here? What do I do now? And you kind of jump around, take some pictures, hug some strangers. And again, I'm doing it through a very like idealized, romanticized way. But you do then have that moment of like, what am I doing here? So I do think that's. I'm just trying to pro 
present the, all the fan views as well as mm. the idiots who ruined it for everyone. Now, I think most of us have noticed there is another option. If we watch Serie A, we watch the Bundesliga and we see netting behind the goal. It's virtually unnoticeable, to be perfectly honest. Just reading an interview today. Um, it's from a while ago, 2012. Ralph Esser, who owns a company called Funtech, but they supply crowd control measures to a ground such as the Allianz Arena, the Mercedes-Benz Arena in Stuttgart as well. That all happened, came in after the World Cup in 2006. It's described as flame-resistant mesh. Uh, you can see through it very easily. We produce a steel rope built into the roof of the stadium from which the net is suspended. There are no poles to obscure your view. It's possible to break the net down very quickly. It can also be winched away. Um, and also you can only, if you want to, use it for high-risk games. He says there's also provisions in place for spectators to run through the net or go through, go underneath it as well and exit that are basically Velcroed. So you can very basically pull the net off if you need to okay, as well. Okay, let's vote. How many people think the Everton fans would have not tried to breach the Velcro last night? No, I know, but it, but it gives it does give players time to get off the pitch and it gives coaches well, time to get off the pitch. decent stewarding and policing would give players time to get off the pitch. It wouldn't stop I, it. I mean, what sort of police force is going to stop 30,000 football fans? I don't know whether it would. It would slow it down slightly. Yeah, but so I think the net would slow it down slightly hmm. as well. Don't you? No, oh, I don't like the net. No, and this is and this is something that I was going to raise because of what happened, obviously, with Hillsborough. The idea of anything being in between the fans and the pitch is something that in English football we are, you know, completely we just don't want to do. Even safe standing took so long to come come back in because we, you know, we want safety measures to be as as best as they possibly can be. But even this, which has worked elsewhere for a long time, quite clearly, um, since the World Cup in 2006, would be something that we're against, Alison? Yeah, no, I don't. I, can't, I, don't, I, I refuse to believe that you can stand behind a net and not feel slightly claustrophobic and also it occasionally impede your vision, even if it just distorts things slightly, makes it feel like you're there's a separation there. You've paid all that money to go in, you've got a season ticket or whatever, saved up for a special match, and it's sort of I mean, slightly weak. We were talking about Goodison Park last night. You do realise that the view is obscured by mm-hmm. by a lot of lot of things. But that's the charm. The, the net's, <laughs> that is the, net's charm. The, the worst, the least of your worries. Excuse me. Go on. Sir. No, I agree with Alison in that respect. I think you know we've touched on it. The, the more stronger deterrence in terms of punishment for clubs and for then in turn fans themselves for doing it. Um, I- Okay. Any punishment for Vieira? Final word on this? Do you think he deserves? Yeah, I think he should get some sort of punishment because as much as, as I said earlier, my initial reaction was, as Alison categorised it, a blokey were grumpa. Ultimately, what he did was wrong and he shouldn't have done it. In my opinion, if you punish Vieira and you don't punish Everton, the message to the fans is... I agree, but you should punish both. You can do stuff but the, the, the people on the pitch can't do anything to you. But that's that's where we're, that's why I was trying wanted to have this heated debate which has been <laughs> brilliant start to the podcast got all our negative energy out and now we can have a lovely chat about football because we're heading into this weekend and I, I'm like I'm nervous about it in terms of what we're going to have lots of football to talk about lots of trophies relegation loads of things decided and it might well be that we're talking about fans storming the pitch again the only thing that I can think is you know football fans that don't like being miles away from the pitch and the idea of a running track like it, genuinely if that's going to be commonplace yeah the gap between the pitch and the fans may become yeah. bigger in the future. Well, they have that slightly at Wembley, don't they? At Wembley, yeah, you kind of have the, the, the slight railings, which I think are like yeah. collapsible, but yeah. they're, they're a barrier. Like I remember at the playoff final last season, we were essentially 
basically the same number of rows back as we are in our season tickets at Lincoln's home ground. And I remember thinking, we're a long, long way from the pitch here. Not yeah. just because it's a big stadium, but because the, the physical seats are physically further away from the pitch. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to see stuff like that at Wembley. No, exactly. It would just be too difficult to get onto the pitch. Exactly. Okay. All right. Did we resolve anything? I don't think so. But no. yeah, ho hopefully we kind of raise some interesting points. And hopefully you won't have to talk about it on Monday. That's all. That's my only hope. Okay, well, we'll see. Uh, if you were looking for a resolution, we can only apologise in that case. But it, it was an interesting discussion. I still disagree with you, Tom. It should have been the end of the podcast. But um, there you go. Onward and upward. we got Miles uh, still to go on the podcast. We'll be talking about all the events in football terms from the week. And look ahead, of course, to a huge weekend in the Premier League. Uh, remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review. Make sure you're subscribed. So, to 22 people kicking around a ball into two nets at either end of a, a grass pitch. Um, to the football, Everton safe in the Premier League for another year. 69th consecutive year in the top flight of English football confirmed. And unlike the three occasions in the 90s that they needed a result on the final day to stay in the Premier League, they are safe with a game to go. I mean, we've almost, we're have almost we almost going to ignore the fact that we were talking about Everton being in Europe at the start of this season because it seems like a different club in a different era, even though it was less than 12 months ago. Um, the game itself, well, it was a win that they needed, three points, and it came in dramatic fashion in front of that home crowd at Goodison Park. 2-0 down at halftime to Crystal Palace. They won it 3-2 thanks to a late Dominic Calvert-Lewin header. Um, it's an interesting one with Everton. Like, the scenes last night, the jubilant scenes, I looked around, I thought... I mean, you've had an absolutely terrible season. I mean, people were celebrating as if they'd won a trophy. I got in the taxi this morning in Liverpool to the station and um, it was a Liverpool fan and he was like, it was like they, they won the Champions League. And I was like, yeah, it was a little bit like they won the Champions League, but it's their Champions League. It was the thing that was most important to them. It was the thing that they, they couldn't possibly countenance losing and going out of the Premier League. So let them celebrate. Well, they see, and that is why they have stayed up because there was a sliding doors moment when it wasn't that long ago the fans at Goodison were the most vitriolic in the country and showing their anger and booing their own team. If they had continued down that path of showing their displeasure with the way the club is run, they wouldn't have stayed up. They, the fans made a conscious effort. A, they were relieved to get rid of Rafa Benitez. They never wanted him in the first place. And then they thought, well, we've got that. OK, we have no choice now but to back Lampard, come what may, back the players, come what may, bring the flares, make it a fortress. It, it, that was exacerbated by the fact that Everton's away form was so abysmal. So it, we're talking about very fine margins of the points they were likely to get and how the fans could influence it. So they, they it was like, like it's all like the Lord of the Rings when you know a billion strong army put down their weapons. They decided this is the moment they're going to sort of park any negativity about what a club that's had 450 million invested in it is doing and pretend they, not pretend they love the club, but, <laughs> but, but forget the negative stuff. And that, and that, that had a sort of a cumulative effect. So by the time they do secure the Premier League status. It does feel like a trophy. It does feel like a huge success. They've bought into it. They've 
been partly behind it. And I think in probably for 10 minutes or more, they forgot that it is a hugely embarrassing season because they set out to achieve something and they'd achieved it. I'm sure waking up over the next few days, they, they'll realise they, they've, achieved, they've achieved very little, except they did, I think, engineer what was a, 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 a very poorly run campaign. I still don't think Frank Lampard was the right manager, except that he did, he did very well to harness the goodwill from the fans. He did that brilliantly. And a, a lot of his um, sort of team talks and approaches to the matches were emotional as opposed to, to overly tactical. But that worked for them, and the you know the the, the idea you know, in this game we 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 do this in this game we do this, we we give it all we give it all we just do it on passion we'll get through it 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 just just got them over the line but that is no way for a club that thinks it's part of the elite of British football to behave really. I've got to say, I think the fans are, I agree with you, the reason that Everton stayed up. Mm. I mean, I went to the win over Newcastle. I was there last night as well. I mean, it is it was on a different level in terms of atmosphere, but especially from 2-0 down, it's the first time they've ever won a Premier League game from 2-0 down at half-time. 75th attempt. Yeah, I think the fans are the reason that the ball was ever in the back of the net. That and Jack Butland, who I don't really rate. Um, but I've got to say... Uh, without the fans last night, they would have lost that game. Yeah. I, that, I genuinely believe that. Yeah, and that's why it's such a shame that we spent as long as we did talking about the incidents after the game at the start of the show because without that, we would have been hailing Everton fans for basically saving their team from relegation because as you say, Hugh, and as Alison alluded to there, the combination of Frank Lampard's slightly kind of cliched, we're all in this together, but it, but it worked and we've talked about it on recent shows in comparison to Leeds. The energy you know they got the energy right and that came from the fans it came from the home fans I mean there was part of me that even when they were 2-0 down I thought this would be very Frank Lampard Everton very end of season Everton for them to turn this around and they did and it's largely because of the supporters um, and I do think like I, I've been critical of Lampard like Alisson and I like Alisson don't think he's right for this job even in the long term going forward yeah I think that was going to be my next question we, we, we could be in, in a situation where we're talking about his future Come come Christmas, um, you're about to in two minutes' time. I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna. It's it's funny. Like he's kept them in the Premier League. Fine, I get it. And and look, you can point to Farhad Mashiri, and they've spent five hundred million pound on players. I think since he first bought shares in 2016, Lampard's record: seventeen games, six wins, two draws, nine defeats, twenty points in all. Um, he said afterwards he was talking about a rebuild job. And I was thinking, I'm not sure you're the guy for the rebuild job. Um, He says, now's the time to take stop, enjoy the moment, make sure we're not here again next year because there are reasons for it. We have to find every way to improve the squad, the club and ourselves. Everton fans can know as long as we're at this club, myself and the staff will give absolutely everything. (sighs) Look, look, I don't think they can keep Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I don't think they can keep Richarlison. These are players that don't want to be involved in a relegation battle. And financially, they almost need to sell those two players. I, I really don't see the makings of a, of anything other than the side that's going to be in the bottom six next year. I might be wrong, but at the moment, they're, they're not a great team. You know, they, they needed the fans to basically drag them over the line and they needed the clubs around them to be worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think... 
I guess it, to come back to um, the point you made about Frank Lampard saying um, a, a rebuild job, it just depends what they're building towards. As we always say all the time, it feels like it's the motif of the game podcast. What are you as a football club? <laughs> um, and that has been Everton's problem for a long, long time, basically since David Moyes left. That's why they've had all these different managers. They had the Ancelotti dream. We're going to be a massive, massive team, massive force in Europe. If this rebuild job under Frank Lampard is sell one of or both of Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, get a lot of money in and try and rebuild to be a team that finishes between 8th and 12th, I think he could do that and deserves a crack at that. If the rebuild job is to spend loads of money again and try and finish 6th, I don't think he's the man for that because that's when you then get into the bad spiral that ends you up in relegation, Lampard sacked and... Rafa Benitez appointed again it won't happen but you know what I mean you're spot on I mean what what we've seen Lampard do well in his short relatively short managerial career is uh, get get the best out of very young players inexperienced players who have a great deal of promise but need to be you know cajoled looked after and so on he did he did that reasonably well at Derby did it um, very well briefly at um, Chelsea they were they were for a while almost unrecognisable. They were a club full of young English players mm. who everyone was saying, oh, isn't he fantastic for England? The fact that he's bringing through all these stars of the future and uh, they gelled well. They played well. They were good. Their stats were good. What he's less good at is handling big sums of money and melding the two approaches, which, it, it, you know, you, have, you need years of experience to do that and he's still learning how to be a manager. But I just cannot see... Him, you know, the Everton board turning to him and saying, right, we're starting again and we're going to do it with uh, good scouting, youth from the academy, and we're not going to spend big money on players who, you know, they're not they're not going to be big enough players to come here, so we'll be pay- paying over the odds to get players in who aren't, just aren't going to be good enough anyway. So let's just go back to basics and, and begin again. Uh, it would be great if they did that because they need to do that, but they won't do that and they'll do some hodgepodge thing and it won't work. Yeah, I mean, listen, even if you look at Arsenal, for example, who did a rebuild with basically unknown players, even if you take out Ben White, who was a known player and cost 50 million quid, I mean, they've still spent about £120 million to bring in loads of youngsters who've done nothing in the game. So, uh, listen, and they might be talented players, but the idea that Everton is going to get players of more experience, even if they're young, of higher quality possibly I don't, I don't I don't see it I mean they really are going to have to go back to basics there's a lot of players in that squad as well who I think might depart but they're not going to get big money for and so it is a bit of a reset and I, I mean I've said this previously I think the next three four years for Everton might be quite difficult I'm not sure Frank Lampard will be there at the end of next season but I'll leave that to my pre-season predictions on the first game podcast of next season uh, should my contract be renewed though of course um, listen let's talk about Burn. 
it means they're outside of the relegation zone. It means if they match Leeds' result this weekend, they will stay in the Premier League. Um, Nick Pope kept them in the game at times, you've got to say. Joint most saves he's made in a Premier League game, which I think was eight. I think Ashley Barnes, he could have been sent off early on. Um, looked like an elbow on, on Tyrone Mings, but I think he's massively important. The Burnley fans don't seem to like him that much. Nobody likes him. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, he just works himself into the ground and he has the he's just an irritant to defenders I think they, they're they going to need him they're going to need him at the weekend for sure he could be the, the you know he's, he scored the penalty last night but I think on Sunday could be massive he could keep them in the Premier League they are taking on Newcastle they host Newcastle That's that could be massively important Leeds in serious trouble at the moment I think even though for me it's a more winnable game for them as they go to Brentford you might disagree with that um, have you been to Brentford? <laughs> I grew up in Wembley. I mean, I've been to Brentford loads of times. You've been to Brentford this season? No, I haven't. There's no way they're going to let what's been a remarkable campaign end with a whimper and not a home win. And also slight, slight lingering tensions from the championship promotion. No, I disagree. I disagree. Uh, listen, playing these sides who don't have much to play for at the end of the season, they're, they're only human, these footballers. You know, loads of them have booked their trip to Ibiza this week, right? They're thinking about going back home to visit family. They want to get through the last home game of the season, get that little lap of honour. They don't want a tough game. And when they're 1-0 down or 2-0 down and the other side's all over, they're thinking, oh, just want to have my slippers on. You know, I just want to be on the beach somewhere. I just want to, you know, I don't want to be here now. I think it's slightly different for Brentford. You know, first season in the Premier League, um, amazing stories throughout the season. Job done, exactly. Including exactly. Christian you, Eriksen. You agree with me, I see. No, including oh. Christian Eriksen, who might well be playing his final game for Brentford. Maybe who knows? Not. Who knows? Maybe not, maybe not. Um, players like Ivan Tony, sh- you know, showcasing what they can do, proving that they can perform at this level. They're not going to want to... Rested. They're not going to want to go out. <laughs> I just don't see it. I'm and not- of all the clubs that, you know, for whom it matters where you finish in the table because of the money you get mm. for that, it, it's Brentford yeah. who have... The smallest budget. I'm not. I'm not saying that Leeds can't can't get a result. I'm just saying it won't be as easy as maybe you make out. I, I don't think it'll be easy. They're Leeds United. They're in the relegation zone for a reason. But I think if they throw absolutely everything at Brentford, it's a more winnable game for them than Burnley, who are taking on a team in Newcastle. Who I just think are much better. Yeah. Much much better. I, I I do agree with you slightly. I. I I'm, I don't know whether you're heading towards the predictions, but I'm going to I'm going to give my. Yeah, you bef- can go. I'm gonna- <laughs> <laughs> Up to you. He's like, oh, for God's sake, you're asking the questions again before I can even do it. I could see Leeds getting a point and Burnley losing. I could, yeah, I can see that. Mm. I can see that. Just like it'd be tight, but I like a late Leeds equaliser. Yeah, and so then hopefully it- no one storms the pitch. Okay. Newcastle and Brentford both have 46 points. Brentford have a far superior goal difference. In what way are Newcastle a better team than Brentford? Because... That um, sounded a bit like a maths question. No. (laughs) GCSE maths question. I've got an answer. The hypotenuse (laughs) of that is... Exactly. Well, the square root of the January transfer window is the answer because that table represents 37 matches and the Newcastle that are playing on Sunday are not the Newcastle that played in the first half of the season. They are a totally different team, and if you so take... are Brentford. No, 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 no. What do you mean? Well, they got they're Christian growing. Erickson they're growing. They signed Ericsson in January, which is a, by far a better signing than anyone brought in by Newcastle in January. Okay, but my point is, I think Brentford are a similar team with Christian Eriksen in there. 
Whereas Newcastle, I think, are one of the best teams in the league right now. That's that's fine. Look, they you know, are. we're getting into semantics. Come on, she's, she's, cough up, she's cough up. Her, she's, she's just giving giving the eyes, not those sorts of eyes, but she's just <laughs> she's just giving me the confused eyes as if she thinks what I'm saying is ridiculous. Let's don't just don't rise to it, Hugh. That's the key with Alison. That's the key I've learnt over the years. But <laughs> look, come on, prediction time. I've thrown mine out there, and you're both getting into arguments about who's better, oh, Guimarães or Ericsson. Bur- Burnley who's win. Better? Burnley win and uh, Leeds draw. Burnley survive. Yeah, I'm going Leeds survive. Really? Yeah, just by a point because I think I do think Burnley as much as I I wonder whether that was their one last Burnley esque performance to get that point against Villa, and I just it had been no. so inconsistent this season. Turf Moor at home. I agree. Maybe the fan factor not, will be a honestly, big. Honestly, I've not. I've in all the predictions and we've I flip flopped through the season as we all have to some degree because you have to because managers get sacked and money yep. gets spent and injuries happen so you have to adjust what you thought would happen at the beginning of the campaign but I've never once thought that Burnley would go down and even in the 1-1 draw with Aston Villa what I liked most about the Burnley performance was the demeanour of the players there was nothing panicky about them they they looked like they believed they were reasonably calm they were, they're, they're a strong club who are used to adversity and to people writing them off I think mentally they will go into the last day of the season in a stronger place than the Leeds players oh, I, I agree with you on that I tend to agree with you on that I th- what would be great is if they're both 3-0 down at half time but the Burnley fans are singing as if they've like won the Premier League title despite getting battered at home uh, because that means they're staying up all Burnley have to do is match Leeds outcome not result but outcome so for me if you're getting the messages, you know, I don't think... There's, there's just a part of me, I don't truly believe that Leeds United are going to be up, like, 2-0 up against Brentford. You know what I mean? Mm. I just don't... I just think if you battle for... If you're Burnley and you just stay in the game, like they, they have done in the last couple of games, they're unlucky against Tottenham Hotspur. They play the five at the back. Okay, they're not going to have Matt Loughton. But I, I genuinely believe that a point minimum for Burnley at the weekend. I genuinely believe that. Great. Yeah, I good. don't see how you can even suggest Newcastle are one of the best teams in the league. They have had they have had performances even under Eddie Howe where they just don't turn up. It just doesn't click, and they look deeply ordinary. Okay, so yeah, Burnley, Burnley survived two to one. Okay, uh, so uh, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, just a final question on Leeds though. Before we get into the weekend, how bad would it be for them to get relegated as a club? Sixteen year wait. They had a good season under Marcelo Bielsa. They trusted in him, if you like, and this season they've sacked him. I can't imagine the reaction. There'll be a pitch invasion for sure then. It won't be nice uh, if they go down. I think those Leeds fans will want to show to their hierarchy that make the journey to Brentford that they're unhappy. Yeah, maybe. I would like. I would, I would hope that Leeds fans wouldn't do something like that because what are you going to gain? It's not, you know, you're not genuinely protesting to the owners of which every that's, home game that's where Victor the auto gets it that's where the direction single. should go because you know we discussed it at the time and i remember talking to rick broadbent who is a leeds fan and he was basically making the case that a lot of leeds fans felt and a lot of our times readers as well when we did a reader poll said would rather keep bielsa and still go down because then you can do a bit more of a rethink and a reset and also you've not had the tumultuous nature of the last few months I think it could be pretty disastrous for Leeds if they went down because they've then got players like Calvin Phillips who would surely move on and actually that was that was the amazing thing that Bielsa did he took a squad that was largely championship quality players and turned them into a Premier League squad basically and I, and, and you lose him 
you lose some of the star names and you go back to being a maybe even dare I say a mid-table championship squad maybe they'll become the yo-yo team when Fulham become the mid-table reliable Premier League team (laughs) we shall see we shall see we're going to be talking about the championship playoffs next we'll also look ahead to the top four and Premier League final days before we end the game podcast so stay with us Samba produced some goalkeeping heroics for the host, saving three of five spot kicks as Forest beat Sheffield United in a shootout. Huddersfield Town beat Luton 2-1 on aggregate. That's a tie that I think could have gone either way at times. Both quite nervy. In the end, if you factor in the regular season, maybe we got the two teams we were expecting to see in this championship playoff final. We have a resident Forest fan, though. Our producer, John Jackson, is here. John, did you did you invade the pitch? Were you there? <laughs> no, I, no, I wasn't there. I was watching on the television. I was very nervous. But um, before the game, I didn't think that I'd be bothered that I couldn't go to the final if they got there. And now I am bothered. Yeah, three. I told you this. You're going to Indonesia, are you, or something like this? No, no, I'm I'm in Donington, which is very close oh, okay. to Nottingham. Yeah. Oh. I just can't get out of it. I yeah. see. Yeah, okay. I'm working. Yeah, uh. that. But yeah, very, very exciting game. I mean, I can't call the the final. I've got to say, it was one of Forrest's poorer performances. Yeah, they've been a lot like that recently, which is why I'm a little bit worried for the final. So they've not quite got this momentum that everyone thinks they've got under Cooper that you had maybe a few months ago. No, it's. I feel like it stopped around March. It's the you know there were some results. There was the Luton game where they lost one 0 to Luton. Um, several. I mean, it was basically after the FA Cup run ended to Liverpool. And they started, I mean, there was a little bit of a drop off there. And I don't know if it was because they, you know, had been putting so much effort into this and they, you know, they played Liverpool and that is quite a big deal considering, you know, it's a team that were bottom after eight games. I know that a couple of teams got points deducted. But after that, there were a few performances that were not up to standards and Brendan Johnson went a little bit missing. You know, he looked all right in that game. He created a few chances, but he wasn't the Brennan Johnson that I know you've been raving about Tom hey look we'll have him back whenever you want mate oh, that's fine if you don't want him we can take him Yeah. but I mean I was speaking to a fan another Forest fan in the office and he said that Huddersfield were the team he wanted least at the start of the playoffs I, th- I think so but Forest lost to Huddersfield they, I mean I think they won the first game of the season they lost at home at the city ground to Huddersfield and then Huddersfield played them in the in the FA Cup and Forest won again and I feel like Maybe they got the better of them because the players are playing the Steve Cooper way that time. I think the second time there, it was all a bit changed. You know, Chris Hewitt had just left and, and Steve Cooper was still getting his team and what he wanted to do together. So that, I mean, maybe I'm just telling myself that they're, <laughs> you know, they've got one over on Huddersfield now. But yeah, I think, actually, I would have actually preferred to have Huddersfield over Luton. Because I think Forest are not a good team when there's an unknown team they're against. So like playing at Kenilworth Road, they just did not play any of the sort of Steve Cooper tactics they just seem to fall apart how, how do you John how do you what, what how do you sum up what a Steve Cooper team is the, what's the epitome of a Steve Cooper team if, if, if everything he wants to happen happens what is it what do you see that makes it oh I know that's a Steve Cooper team oh that's a good point I like that um, it's they, they were all playing they, they, they had trust in him under Chris Hewton, the players were doing what they wanted, whereas Steve Cooper, I think, has given them more freedom. Because I'll give you Ryan Yates as an example. The Forest fans got on the back of Ryan Yates, defensive midfielder, never passed it forward. In one game, I watched him and he passed it sideways twice, otherwise it was just backwards. I think Steve Cooper has come in with a player like Ryan Yates and given him the confidence to make passes and, and 
be out of not out of position but be in a position where he's maybe taking more of a risk because he is a good player and he's got the ability to do that whereas under Chris Hutton he looks scared to go further than where Chris Hutton's probably told him to so when they're playing properly the players they, they seem to have their own identity whereas under Chris Hutton it just felt like they were almost scared to make a mistake and then you saw what happened there I'm concerned for Nottingham Forest I have to say Huddersfield I think are like Sheffield United in many many ways but just tougher physically more and slightly better organised and I also think Carlos Corbran their manager is quite an instinctive coach in that his in-game tweaks usually work um, I don't think they're a special side but it feels like you've got a human made of bones and flesh in, in Nottingham Forest taking on you know Arnie you know the, the, <laughs> the, the bionic man that the robotic you know I, I do think they have if it, if there's, if there's, if it for me this final goes one of two ways well you're either, quite right either, well, either, <laughs> no as in quite specifically either either Huddersfield grind out a 1-0 win mm. and their organisation comes to the fore or Forest hit them in the first half and blitz them because I think they're running out of energy mm. I, I think if they can go one or two nil up Forest I think they really need a special performance I think in this game if it comes down to a test of the wills Huddersfield will win yeah I mean we should say as well for Huddersfield they are one of the stories of the season as much as Steve Cooper and Forrest Forrest being um, the big club with the history re more recent history than Huddersfield of success obviously Huddersfield as many Huddersfield fans point out we've won league titles and things like that we're a massive club um, they, they are one of the stories of the season they finished 20th last season with Carlos Corbran and a lot of people were questioning his tactics questioning his methods but you kind of alluded to it there Hugh the kind of overall team effort that they've got going, the kind of really cohesive way they're playing. And, you know, they've got two strikers in Ward and Rose who have been around the block a bit. Like, you mm. wouldn't have expected them to be guiding them to a playoff final. Um, they've also got one of the superstar left-backs in uh, English football, Harry Toffolo. Mm -hmm. Guess who he used to play for? Uh, <laughs> but no, and, but, and Sorba Thomas, don't forget. Yeah, Sorba, Sorba Thomas. New, new contract for Sorba Thomas. Sorba well. Thomas, O'Brien, Toffolo. But, and, you know, these players will, I would have thought potentially be on the move if they don't make the Premier League and potentially Corbran as well so as much as the uh, media excitement is understandably with the Nottingham Forest and the momentum and Steve Cooper and all these exciting players that maybe we've heard of Huddersfield deserve huge huge credit yeah. this season particularly Carlos Corbran and if they were to go up they'd be a great story in their own right I'm not counting them out at all. I know a lot of people will have heard and read all the stories about Forest this season and seen them earlier on. But I think going into this game, which isn't this weekend, next weekend, we'll be talking about it more. I think it'll be a very tight contest. Anyway, there is one game that is this weekend at Wembley. It does decide promotion. I think we're all David Stockdale fans, right? So we want we want Wickham Wanderers to win, do we? Because they're taking on Sunderland um, in the League One playoff final. I think Sunderland need to make this count now, don't they? Four-year stint in the third tier. Wickham will have around 22,000 fans at this match. Sunderland, 46,000 fans going to Wembley. I think they could have filled it if they yeah, allowed definitely. even more. Um, but do you think that's going to make the difference on the afternoon? Will, it, that, will that be key? I think if there's one team maybe in the entire football league who can take on not only Sunderland but also 50,000 Sunderland fans it's this Wickham team that will not bother them at all if anything in a weird way it might help yes. you know if you think about some of the things that David told us on the podcast about the you know the brilliant nature that, that, that um, Gareth Ames was engendered in that squad 
they they will find it funny almost, won't they? You can imagine them in the dressing room beforehand. Can you can you hear all that? You know, all the Sunderland fans. They'll they'll find it great, and I it will be an incredibly tight game. I I, I have a lot of friends who are Sunderland fans, um, a lot of good friends, and so part of me is drawn towards the idea of them going up because I think it would be a lovely thing. It would just be a huge relief as much as anything. As a fan of a team in League One, I almost don't want the Sunderland narrative in League One anymore. Just get up. Get up, lads. Get back to the championship. Leave us all alone, will you? So, but it, I do think it would be incredibly tight and I do think for Sunderland fans, may, like Wickham is, is an absolute nightmare. But it, Yeah, it would just be like Wickham Wanderers to win that game. Absolutely. It would just be Absolutely. like Wickham Wanderers under Gareth Ainsworth and, you know, I think we to David Stockdale, like, I compare them to the crazy gang, yeah. but the spirit that they've got there is what drives them. Yeah, it's similar to what, you know, what we talked about and again, we have to admit that we'll be part of this you've got two finals one we've just talked about there with Forest and Huddersfield and it's the same with this lots of the attention will be going on to Sunderland massive Sunderland 50,000 fans and as you say Hugh they could have taken more I'm seeing people on Twitter being like anyone got a spare ticket why aren't there more tickets we could take more a lot of the focus will be on them and also because of the way these things work Wickham had their moment didn't they two years ago they had their moment in the spotlight but you could you that, that that doesn't mean anything, and actually that could play into Wickham hands even more. Prediction? Don't bet against Stockdale. No, I wonder whether it might. He might even be heavily involved in a penalty, penalty shootout. Shoot <laughs> I genuinely could see will he, will a he, very tight. Think, we asked him whether we would take one, didn't we? Yeah, I think he did. Say he he'd said take he would. One. Yeah, he said he would. Oh God, we're piling the pressure on now. I think something about something about I tell you what the only key difference we talked about manager changes Alex Neal has gone into Sunderland this season took over from Lee Johnson and what he seems to have given them which they showed in the playoff semi-final against Sheffield Wednesday is an ability to just win and we don't quite know how but they've scored a lot of late goals towards the end of the season they did so again in that playoff semi-final Patrick Roberts scoring right at the death there's something about what Alex Neal has done maybe he's stripped away some of that pressure he just seems to have got a bit of a winning mentality going on and it'll be an amazing clash because that's exactly what Wickham have got but something about it says that Sunderland will do it just maybe I think they're probably fueled slightly by what's going on at Newcastle as well and the sense that the gulf could become hmm. just too big if they don't start climbing the division I've got no prediction for this I, I really don't I, the only thing that's factored in my mind is these fans and if they have a great day out and if they're really behind the team, there's just so many of them. Could that inspire the Sunderland players? We'll see. We will see. We we'll should also just say, David, if you're listening, you're welcome back anytime and don't, look, <laughs> don't, don't hold this against us. Bring the trophy with you when you come back, David. <laughs> we're all behind you. Um, no, 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 Sunderland fans, we're not. It's a totally impartial podcast, I promise. Uh, we will react to that playoff final on Monday. Uh, before we go, we'll be talking about the Premier League once again, but the top of the table, top four, and of course, the title. So then, there are still some issues to be decided on the final day in the Premier League, more towards the top of the table. Um, before we get to the title, in fact, let's start with the top four. Spurs, two-point lead over their North London rivals, Arsenal going into the final day. Spurs go to Norwich, Arsenal host Everton, so they would have been delighted that Everton made themselves safe. But Norwich already relegated... Do we see anything other than a comfortable Spurs victory and them into the Champions League? 
Uh, no, because none of us are Tottenham fans. But if you ask any Tottenham fan, they can they can see it coming a mile off. Of course, um, one of my colleagues on the editing desk, Clive, who is a wonderful, wonderful man, <laughs> has been a Tottenham fan for many, many, many years. And the first thing he said to me when I asked him about it was he listed the countless times when they've cocked it up at the end of the season, and he said you could easily see them doing it again. I don't think they will, just simply because. And Tony Cascarino said this to me when he was talking about his predictions. You've got Harry Kane and Son Hyung Min against Norwich. That's it. You're not gonna. You're not gonna not score enough goals to win the game. I just don't see it. Tottenham for me. But you know, Norwich do have something to play for. They might not finish bottom, and they're I in front just, of their home fans. Surely, no, surely not. And they do occasionally have these moments, Norwich, where they look okay under Dean Smith. So it's not impossible. You're being mischievous, Alison. I Rudd, clearly I am being mischievous. <laughs> But I think Norwich are capable with that, the backdrop of it being the final home game and they won't finish bottom if, possibly won't finish bottom if they won't. And the inherent weirdness that is Spurs. It'd be, I mean, it'd be, it would be great for Conte if Spurs, you know, did it in a proper grown-up, lethal, ruthless, never in doubt, played quite a nice football way. Because someone has to come into Spurs and stop them being Spursy. At some point, they have to stop this ridiculous behaviour. <laughs> but um, I, 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 I can. I think there's a twenty five percent chance they won't do it. But I mean, there's the back, back the Harry Kane hat trick as yeah, far as I'm yeah. concerned. I mean, there's the other factor that even if they don't, and as much as I've been the man devastated by Arsenal's recent a capitulation because I was so keen to come on at the end of the season and say I told you Mikel was manager of the season <laughs> but I mean the way they're playing at the moment in the last few games and facing Everton free from the shackles of you know worry they could easily draw that game at home and it won't matter if Tottenham cock it up Arsenal we didn't even react to them bottling it against Newcastle United earlier on this week and seeing their top four hopes basically disappear barring something sensational at Carrow Road this weekend they host Everton which I don't actually think this result is going to matter I truly believe Spurs will get the job done yeah I think do you disagree? Well, I have, as I said, only, I'm only 75% sure okay, Spurs right. get the job. That's enough. It's enough. Yeah, and we should just briefly say that it's hugely disappointing for Arsenal, hugely disappointing for me, having pushed the cause <laughs> of Mikel all season. But I do think as well, if we're trying to be kind of slightly balanced, uh, finishing fifth overall, as much as from the position yeah. they were in, it was a disaster. Maybe, you know, a crack at the Europa League, some more sensible signings, incremental building. You know. But he spent most Massive. of the season arguing and moaning about fixture congestion when he had no European matches to juggle. I don't even know. They did I have mean, that. What, they what, did. What on earth are you going to do? They, when they did have, have that North London derby moved though. <laughs> you know, huge missed opportunity as far as I'm concerned for Arsenal. I'm not going to say they bottled it because I think they've had a well, you a, did a minute a very good season. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I only say it in jest. Um, I think fifth in the Premier League is absolutely. If, if they do finish fifth, I think it's an, a you know a brilliant season for them. Really disappointed. Six defeats in the last eleven Premier League games to to see the the Champions League go out of their hands. I do believe this is their best opportunity. I don't believe um, that Manchester United will continue to be as poor. I don't necessarily mean. I don't necessarily think they'll be in the, the top four next season, but they will be strong competitors against Arsenal in terms of a league place. Tottenham Hotspur, I believe, will improve under Antonio Conte, especially if they get Champions League. So thanks very much, Arsenal, because you've allowed Spurs to dominate Manchester United for at least the next couple of seasons. Thank you very much.
Now, the title race. Is this a foregone conclusion? Manchester City hosting Aston Villa. A win guarantees them the title. Liverpool hosting Wolves need a win to have a chance of winning the title. What do we think? Liverpool are going to win the title. I've said it for a long, long time. And I'm not just saying it because it'll save me from my embarrassing Mikel Arteta prediction, but (laughs) it just feels like something... And this is not to criticise Liverpool, but, you know, they've won two finals already, penalty shootouts. Just feels like... And maybe this is... I mean, they can, they can win the title with a draw. Yeah. Yeah. If the goals go their way and, and yeah. Manchester City are beaten. Yeah, I think the, the game for City is is tricky. It's trickier, um, certainly. not, And I'm, I'm not necessarily even buying into the whole Gerrard factor. Oh, he can finally win a Premier League winner's medal, all that kind of nonsense. But I just mean in purely footballing terms I think it's a trickier game and I just think as I've said a lot of times on this podcast I think there's something about City in these games I think in the bigger games against Liverpool they've been superb and against Newcastle they were unbelievable but I just wonder whether there might be a little blip If you believe in the spiritual strength of Liverpool (laughs) Alisson Rudd then they are going to win the title. Connor Cody's going to have one of his rare off games at the centre of defence for Wolves in this game. Can see it just happening. turn around and boot one in. Yeah, possibly, you know, early own goal, let's call it that. And then, who knows, Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa have the game of their lives. Have you, have you contemplated lifting the Premier League title? Do you truly believe it will happen this weekend? Yeah, she's been on the pitch in her dreams, obviously. I have actually played at Anfield. <laughs> Gerrard's shirt this weekend, by the way. Oh, I've got. I'm. I'm never. Let's not go down that road. We've got time. <laughs> I have. I have an array of shirts, and a lot of thought goes into but which, which bit, ones bit, I even touch. But I can remember the three of us being on a on a podcast. I can't quite pinpoint when it was, but I'd say around like you know late February, March, and City still had a fairly big gap. And you and I both said that it was possible. And it does feel maybe this is you know in my position as an editor where you kind of see stories and you see storylines building. But it just does feel like it's built to this point. At the right, end I have no, I have no doubt that Liverpool will beat Wolves, no, no doubt at all. My concern is what I've seen from Aston Villa this season. They don't have ninety-three, four minutes of concentration in them, and if you're playing City and you let those concentration levels dip, City will punish you. So I, I'm. I, I, no matter how <laughs> how much Stephen Gerrard would like them to produce their finest performance of the campaign under him and I think they're capable of scoring definitely think they're capable of scoring against City I just don't see they've just not had it all season I mean the people who um, follow Villa week in week out as journalists tell me they find it very frustrating there's always a dip there's in every game Gerard has to lift them from a point of being slightly inept or not quite having the cohesion. They don't and against Burnley there were there were moments when you just thought which is the team at risk of going down here they're both playing equally neat passing football. They 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 dip and if you dip against City so I'm worried in that respect. I'm going 4-0 Liverpool, 3-1 Manchester City. So specific. I am. Stick your fivers on now, listeners. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Right, listen, we were going to react. Of course, we're going to react to everything that happens uh, in the Premier League this weekend. Alison, if Liverpool win the title, will you wear a shirt on Monday? Will you bring us one of your 
famous it would be, it would be my Liverpool privilege jerseys. and honour thank you for inviting me brilliant okay we'll see which one she chooses on Monday in, in the interest of balance someone should try and bring a Man City shirt if they win as well because you know let's not forget yeah, well, but there I, are no Man I City fans I haven't got an, I haven't got a Man City shirt obviously Alison hasn't got one obviously so if you you know I, you're always banging on about being from Manchester I'm, 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 I'm not on my you'll, show you can track one down go to you live in Hipsterville <laughs> go to Classic Football Shirts and I'm you can not, pick I'm yourself they, they, haven't, they haven't sponsored the podcast so forget that don't buy anything <laughs> from that company if they want us to mention them, they're going to they're gonna have that. to pay. Exactly. Uh, listen, we will react to everything on Monday. Thank you all for listening. Alison, Tom, thank you for being with me for the past hour or so. We will see you on Monday. But remember, make sure you're subscribed to The Times uh, for more of our award-winning journalism. Check it out, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.